Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Immediately, God dropped a, um, a thought into my heart. I, I did seven years as an itinerant evangelist. Um, I, I was blessed to travel uh, worldwide. And there was one particular uh, sermon that God dropped into my heart that I used to preach in different locations. And um, at this, about four or five weeks ago, he said, I want you to preach this one. And uh, it's about transformation. And so I want to preach to you from Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible. This morning, Mark chapter 10, you can turn there. It's a familiar story about the rich young ruler. But as a way of introduction, who's ever heard of Antonio Stradivarius? Some of you. Okay, one or two. Stradivarius. If you've heard of him, you've probably heard of what he made, which was basically violins. He was an Italian violin maker and he lived from 1644 to 1737. His violins today are the most prized in all the world. um, It's because of the rich resonating sound that is produced by a uh, Stradivarius violin. And as much as we've got technology, there have been so many Um, attempts to replicate that sound that a a Stradivarius brings. And they've failed every time. So in studies that they uh, have conducted, surprisingly, they found out that the wood that he used, because he was uh, a pauper, he had hardly any money, um, he would go down to the harbour And he would fish the wood out of the harbour, the discarded pieces of wood that nobody else wanted were fished out of the harbour and he'd take them back and he'd fashion them into a violin. And they did not understand how this trash in the water was turned around to become one of the most prized violins in all the world as they examined the violins and as they've done testing on them they found out that while these pieces of wood were in the dirty waters of the harbor microbes little organisms would burrow into the into the wood and what what it caused was when Stradivarius uh, used these wood uh, this wood to form and fashion a a violin he didn't remove those burrows he, uh, those little tiny he couldn't hardly see them himself he didn't even realize what was happening but it caused these chambers so when the strings are, 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 are which are taut across the a violin just like a guitar are, 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 are strummed or or or, or twigged they resonate right through the body of the wood and they cause a unique sound that cannot be replicated. From wood nobody wanted, Stradivarius produced violins that everybody wants. And that's the same as us. 
And I want to talk to you about transformation. And God takes that which seems to be broken and discarded in life. And he fashions something in us. He does something in our hearts that nobody else can replicate. We are unique. You are unique. You have unique issues in your life that only God can work through and work work something magnificent through in your life. Kyle is a testimony, one of many that came out of a teen challenge about what God can do. But every one of us is unique in our problems because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all all had our hassles. We all had our hang-ups. And coming to church is not, it, it's not just a, 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 something that you just add to your life. Yeah, I'm just a churchgoer. It's more than that. It's about transformation of our heart and in the very issues of our life that God wants to do something significant and something glorious that cannot be replicated, nor can it be done through a system of the world. Christianity is not about so much what you do is about what who you are becoming. In our text, a young man comes running to Jesus and he has a face-to-face encounter with the one that could really change his heart and change his life. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It says, now as he was coming out, this is Jesus on the road. One came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. Then he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, And give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. But why but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man comes to Jesus, he seeks Jesus. Undoubtedly, he had either heard about the miracles of Jesus. He'd either uh, been told about the miracles of Jesus. He may have watched Jesus from afar. He may have been part of the crowds at different times that had heard Jesus speak. But at this time, for one reason or another, he pushed everything aside and came to Jesus, knelt before him and asked him a question. It's hard to ascertain what was his real motive. It's hard to put down why he really came to Jesus. 
how many uh, how he made uh, uh, made that decision. What motivated him to come to Jesus? Why did he feel like there was something missing in his life? We live in a generation that we've got every toy under the sun. We've got Netflix. We've got Playstations. We've got those watch things. You know, those crazy watches that buzz and, and tell you, give you messages that are linked to your phone. Apple watches and all these other things. We've got, we've got all the gizmos. We've, we live in a first world country where electricity is dependable. Third world countries where it goes off for six or eight hours during the day and people have generators out the back. We, have, uh, we were just, just in Bali and those people are desperate all the time trying to sell us trinkets on the side of the road. People say, hey, mister, you come, you bring me good luck. You come and, come and buy from my, my shop. They're trying to sell you anything because they're desperate. But if we in the in the first world country, we live in, really in the top five percent of the world. You may not understand that. You may not feel as though you're rich. You may not feel as though you're uh, privileged at times because of some of the problems in your life. But can I tell you, compared to the rest of the world, you have life pretty easy. This man had life pretty easy. Even in the midst of all that was happening around him, yet he knew there was something missing in his life. Aussies don't always realize there's something missing in their life. It's not another church service. It's not having uh, great musicians. It's not having, you know, I, I joke when, uh, when they have smoke machines in church and say, oh, that's when the anointing comes, when they have the smoke machine come. Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad we don't do it. Praise God, I hope we never do it. But uh, it's one of those things in life that, you know, uh, we can have all the gizmos. You can have everybody uh, uh, happy with everything, that uh, uh, all the lap of luxury that you can have. Uh, two cars in your carport, a four-by-two bedroom house. You can have all those things, but there's still going to be one thing lacking in your life. This man did not have Jesus in his life. He may have been coming to Christ because he realized that the Lord that he had been fulfilling or trying to fulfill, and he may have come to a revelation that it's absolutely impossible to live by the law. Every one of us does something wrong. You can straighten your halo today if you like or fluff your, your, your angel wings, but can I tell you, every one of us is a stinking rotten sinner at heart. This is, uh, good on you. You agree with me. Yeah, I, 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 well, we are. Without Christ, we have problems, major problems in life, and that major problem is our own self-will and our own sin. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was unsure about the fact of what actually happens when you die. Recently, we did a funeral at uh, Malaga for Matthew. Matthew, uh, his parents uh, attend our church, uh, the uh, Malaga church. 
as does uh, two of his brothers. And Matthew, uh, a couple of weeks before he died, uh, um, he's 24 years of age. He was that electrician that died in the, in the roof of that house in Nolamara. And so a couple of weeks before Matthew died, he said to his wife of 14 months, I don't fear death because I know where I'm going. I wonder how often, uh, you know, when I thought about it, at the, at the funeral there was close to nearly 700 people. We packed out the auditorium, the foyer was packed out, and then there were people in the car park area. And when I think about that, when I think about that man, that young man's confidence that he had at such an early age, with all his life to live, he had everything at his, him and his wife had been married 14 months, they were uh, buying a house, so all sorts of things were happening, yet his life was taken in a moment, but the confidence that he had, the confidence that he had, was that he knew where he was going. He knew that eternal life was his because of his faith in Christ. This man did not. He comes to Jesus, and the tragedy of this story is he walks away disappointed. Walks away disappointed because... Jesus gave him an honest and accurate answer to his life, and he wasn't ready for that. John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, if you haven't read it, it's a good, very, very good read. He talks about disappoints, disappointments, and I just want to talk to you for a moment about great disappointments. Listen to, I'm going to read an excerpt from the book, and if you can just bear with me, it is quite insightful, but it, it carries the point that I want to bring firstly this morning. He says, I'm disappointed with myself. I'm disappointed not so much with particular things I've done as with aspects of who I have become. I have a nagging sense that all, all is not as it should be. Some of this disappointment is trivial. Some of this disappointment neurotic. Sometimes I am too concerned about what others think about me, even people I don't know. Some of my disappointment, I know, is worse than trivial. It is the sour fruit of self-absorption. I attend a high school reunion and can't choke back the desire to stand out and be more and look more attractive or uh, to others or having achieved more impressive accomplishments. I speak to someone of whom I, am, I want to be charming and my words come out awkward and pedestrian. I'm disappointed at how ordinary I am. Some of my disappointment in myself runs deeper. When I look in at my children at night, I think of the kind of father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want to make them uh, uh, have, have times of, uh, of laughter and get them to remember uh, times of laughter. I want them to read. I want to read to them and make books come alive so that they love to read as well. I want to have slow, sweet talks with them as they're getting ready to close their eyes. And I want to teach them about games and have food fights and hold them and pray with them in such a way that they may, that makes them feel cherished. 
Instead, I look in on them at night as they're sleeping and I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over a game and I walked away out of the room because I didn't want to spend the time or the energy to teach them how to resolve conflict. I remember how my daughter spilt soft drink at the the dinner table and I yelled at her about being more careful as if it revealed some deep character flaw. I yelled at her even though I spill things all the time and no one yells at me. I yelled at her simply because I'm big and she's small and I can get away with it. And then I saw the little look of hurt and confusion in her eyes and I knew there was a tiny wound on her heart and that I'd put it there. And I wish I could have taken that 60 seconds back. I remember how at night I didn't have slow talks with my children as I put them to bed, but merely rushed them into bed so that I could have more times to myself. I'm disappointed. I'm not just disappointed in my life as a father. I'm disappointed in my life as a husband, a friend, a neighbor, and a human being in general. I'm disappointed that I still love God so little and still sin so much. I always had an idea as a child and an adult uh, that when you become an adult, you pretty much do what you always wanted to do. Yet the truth is I am embarrassingly sinful. I'm capable of dismaying amounts of jealousy if someone succeeds more visibly than I do. I am disappointed at my uh, captivity to be uh, small and petty. I am I can convince people I'm busy and and productive yet waste large amounts of time watching television. These are just some of my disappointments. I have other ones, darker ones, ones I'm not ready to commit to paper. The truth is, even as I write these words, it's a little misleading because it makes me sound more sensitive to my fallenness than I really am. Sometimes, although I'm aware of how far I fall short, it doesn't even bother me that much. I'm disappointed at my lack of disappointment. Where does this disappointment come from, he says. A common answer is in, in our day is the lack of self-esteem, a failure to... That may be part of the answer, but it's not the whole of it. Not by a long shot. The older, wiser answer is the feeling of disappointments, not the problem, but a reflection of a deeper problem, and that is my failure to be the person God had in mind when he created me. I read those words in that book and I couldn't help but reflect on my own life. On times and seasons when I've missed opportunities with my kids, with my wife, with friends, with relatives, with my own life, on things that I, when God has spoken to me and I haven't done what God has told me to do and I've ignored his prompting of the Holy Spirit. I thought about that and I thought as I read this portion of scripture even to you this morning, I want you to think about or put yourself in the place of that young man. That young man didn't know Jesus. He had money. He had position. He had prestige. Maybe he'd come into a great inheritance. Maybe he had a great family. But there was something missing in his life and it was Christ. He couldn't identify it immediately, but he goes to Christ And even as Christ confronts him with a good answer, with a direct answer uh, for his life, he walks away, but he walks away disappointed. Fact is, we do disappoint ourselves. And we need to learn how to handle that. 
because so many of us fall short. We fall short of our own expectations. Our own, we set goals. We set various things in, in place in life. We have dreams. And sometimes those things don't come to pass simply because of our own self-will or our bad decision-making. Yeah. Matthew 10.22 in the New Living Translation, it says, at this, at this, this man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. It made me think about Paul, the apostle, who had done so much wrong, had a powerful transformation, had a powerful conversion to Christ. Yet in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, he says, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, for what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Paul struggled even in himself with this whole battle of uh, knowing what was right to do, but simply struggling into doing it and not doing it. The classic example also is Peter. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. You say these things, Peter, that you're going to follow me even unto death. But three times before the crow, uh, 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 the, the rooster crows tomorrow, you are going to deny me. And we know the story that Peter is in the courtyard. And uh, in Luke twenty-two sixty-two, it says, after Peter had denied Christ, he says, he went out and he wept bitterly. He was disappointed in himself. Not only do we disappoint ourselves, we disappoint God. I think about Jesus. It says in our portion of Scripture, Mark says that Jesus looked at the man and loved him. And yet this man turned on his heels and walked to what Jesus would have been disappointed at that time. Other times, Jesus looked out on Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you together, but you have rejected the prophets. You've turned your back. I wanted you. I wanted you to know everything. You've missed your hour of visitation. All through the Old Testament, you read stories how they were going well at different times, and yet other times the people of God were not doing well. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, So the Lord was sorry he ever made man and put him on the earth, and it broke his heart. At the time, man was consumed with sin. Such sin was had, that had not been on the earth. It had escalated to such a place where God sends a flood. God was disappointed with man. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, he looked around. He looked around at, at, at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard heart. And he said to, to the man, hold out your hand. Here's Jesus. He's in the synagogue. He's preaching. There's a preaching of the gospel. This is a place of prayer. And there's a man with a withered hand. And Jesus sees the man with the withered hand. And he wants to heal but the man, the other people have hard hearts. 
He says to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. What broke Jesus's heart is that he did miracles in front of people. Yet because of the hardness of their heart, they wouldn't open up to him and follow him. Brother, sister in Christ, don't become hard-hearted to the gospel, to the things that God wants to do in your life. That whole incident about Jesus being um, taken and how he told um, Peter that he would deny him. In Luke chapter 22, there's one more little line that Luke adds to this whole story. And let me just read it. Luke 22, 60 and 61 said, Peter said, man, I do not know who, uh, what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. How the Lord must have been disappointed right at that moment when Peter had denied him. In Psalm 78, verse 40, it says, Oh, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved his heart in that day, in that dry wasteland. God has been disappointed with man for so long, but not because we're not being you know, somehow, you know, faithful to church or would not do, but because of the hardness of our heart when he will speak to us and want to help us and somehow we push his hand away. The third area of disappointment is when we disappoint others. I think of Nathan and David. Nathan and David were friends. Nathan was a prophet. And yet Nathan had to go to David and said, you're the man. You've done the wrong thing. I think of Noah and his sons. How his son, their sons, the sons looked on Noah after he got drunk, after the, after the, uh, after the, the flood, and he was lying naked. I think the sons were disappointed in their dad, but I also think that Noah was disappointed in him in the way that Ham shamed his father. I think of Barnabas and Paul, two good mates, serving the Lord, yet their contention between them became so sharp, they split and went opposite directions in the mission field. That's a part of life we're going to have to learn to cope with is disappointment. We can overcome this disappointment. Because he loves us. And he accepts the fact that we're going to disappoint him. Jesus did not condemn this rich young ruler. He allowed him to leave. He allowed him to go off his own way. It would have been disappointing. It, would not have, it wasn't the outcome that the Lord wanted or the rich young ruler wanted. But Jesus allowed it to happen. The reason it happened was because of great diversions. Let me talk to you just for a few moments about great diversions. I will get to the really good part at the end, okay? 
The great diversion for this young man was his possessions. It was his self-image. There's not one of us that didn't look in the mirror before we came to church this morning. Didn't check there wasn't a piece of breakfast still stuck in our teeth. Amen. That we are worried about how people, we do worry about how people perceive us. Not one bloke doesn't check his fly when he's leaving the toilet because he doesn't want to be embarrassed by someone pointing it out. Right? These things happen. It happens all the time. We are diverted from the will of God by our own self-image and by our possessions. I am preaching right now to an affluent society and this message hits home. I don't care how much you've got left in the bank or how much you are saving on a regular basis. You are always worried about your self-image. I'm always worried about my self-image. I bought this shirt because I liked it. I like it, but if you don't like it, it really doesn't matter. I'm wearing it, okay? If I've got bad breath, that's a different thing, all right? So that's why I bring myths, amen. So when I pray for you, you get knocked over by the Holy Spirit, not by my bad breath, hallelujah. But we do, we get all caught up in our self-image and we get all caught up on whether or not we're financially secure. Have you, if you listen to the world about at retirement and superannuation, most of you are probably thinking that you're not going to make it. I'm looking at it. I haven't got enough superannuation. I don't own a house. I'm not in a position to retire. And yet I'm, I'm getting closer to that supposed retirement age. Really? <laughs> I didn't think I... <laughs> I don't if I let this become a diversion to me, I will be disappointed in my life. I can look back in my life and look at investment opportunities. I could have bought NAB shares and in, 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 I think it was 1992, 1992 NAB shares floated on the stock exchange and they were about seven bucks a share. I could have bought them right there. The guys were saying, you need to buy shit. I, I can't remember. They're 20, 30 followers a share right now. I could have had a lot of money. I could focus on that or I could focus on what I've really been doing since 1992 or earlier. I started preaching in 1985. I'm going to preach to the day I die. I'm going to do the will of God to the day I die because I will not be diverted by the things of this world, either by my image or by the things that the world offers me. What are you going to be diverted by? What diverts you from the will of God? What disappointments are going to be in your life? How are you going to handle them? The reason I'm pointing at this very scripture today is very, very clear because as I was reading this, reading this portion, even yesterday, verse 19, and listen to what Jesus says. We know in Exodus chapter 20, Jesus, 10 commandments, right? Why does Jesus only give him five to fulfill? Verse 19, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. 
Jesus was speaking specifically to the issues that were in his life, and that was relationship. It wasn't about, it wasn't about uh, uh, not making idols. It wasn't about the first, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the uh, first commandment, the first five commandments. It was about relationship with other people. This man had been diverted, and he'd been diverted in such a way that his self-image was more important and his finances were more important than doing the will of God. His religious experience was unfulfilling. I hope that you do not sit in church every week and feel unfulfilled or that you sit at home in your prayer time or take time in your reading of the Word of God and you feel unfulfilled by your experience with Christ. Because I can stand before you today, a man that has had transformation, a man that was a piece of discarded wood in the floating in the sea of life, and God did take my life and has done something with me, not that it's on the outside, it's on the inside how he has changed me and has continued to change me in my heart. This man's heart had been diverted from what God really wanted and what Jesus really wanted. He'd made, relig he'd made a religion out of a relationship. Relationship with God is everything. It don't matter how much you got in the bank. It don't matter how many cars you drive. It doesn't matter how many times you um, feel let down by this world if you have Christ moving in your heart. That's the greatest thing, the greatest value. Verse 20, he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. God's plan was not just that he fulfilled the law. God's plan was for him to know Christ. Wealth, life, possessions were an issue. 55, 2 and 3 says, Why do you spend money for what does not satisfy? Listen to what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. Jesus speaks to the very issues of this man's heart and says, you need to forget about the things of this world and let me in your life. Daily, we're bombarded with messages of the world. And you can either love the things of this world and let it divert you from your relationship with God, or you can love God and find peace in that. I want to close with the great quest. The word quest is an interesting word. It's the, it's a, by definition, it's a long search for something that is difficult to find or an attempt to achieve something difficult. There are plenty of times before I was a Christian that I tried to change. I tried, I tried all sorts of things. I vowed that I'd never smoke dope, that I'd never drink booze. My mum was an alcoholic. Um, I vowed that, um, uh, you know, 
various things in my life, and yet I broke every one of those vows as a young man. But then, when I became a Christian, and I'd been through religious experiences as, as a Catholic for many, many, many years, but when I became a Christian and I heard the invitation to relationship to come follow Christ, a process of transformation began. And this quest for transformation is still in my heart. I still am not happy with everything I do in life. I can still be disappointed sometimes when I let people down. I've done it. I may have been saved for the last 41 years and serving and preaching for the last 40 years, but I've let people down. Becoming a Christian doesn't make you perfect. <laughs> Coming into church, church is not, you know, some people don't want to come to church because they feel as though they won't measure up. Well, guess what? We're all works in progress. But God's still working, glory to God. He's still got more to do, glory to God. He's still working on the inner heart, the inner chambers of your life. He's still fashioning something from something that was discarded by the world. You may even lose your job next week. You may, you may have lost your job two weeks ago. You know, the world might discard you. You might have lost a friend because you've decided to live for Jesus. Yeah, things can fail in life. You can be disappointed by life itself. But when you're on the quest for transformation, there is an inner fulfillment that cannot be replicated. Never can it be. Uh, it's a joy to my life to know that God is working in my heart. Coming to Christ and having a relationship with him is the greatest thing that ever happened in my life, but it's the greatest thing that is still happening in my life. It wasn't a one-time event. Joining a church is not the answer. It's a relationship with Christ that's the answer. You know, you might look at this young man and feel very sorry for him, but he made a choice. Your choices determine your destiny. And destiny isn't just heaven. Destiny is about becoming more like Christ. Can I ask you a question? Are you becoming more like Christ? Can people see Christ in your life? We live in a post-Christian era where, um, uh, you know, it was interesting. I, we used to attend uh, Live Church, which is now Encounter City Church. It's at the old Girraween AOG church, they had their 50th anniversary just last uh, last week. And ScoMo, Scott Morrison, uh, uh, spoke at that meeting. We were in Bali and I'm reading the Australian website and they are still after ScoMo. They're trying to find every piece of dirt that they can say, oh, that, that ScoMo was uh, 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 past, the pastor of the church had equated him to Jesus in this article. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, and I was thinking about that church, which it was 50 years it's been established in the in Girraween area. It was planted out of uh, the old, uh, uh, the old uh, Hyde Park Church, which is now Grace Life Church. 
that's the heritage of Grace Life. There's been the preaching of the gospel. There's been the launching of churches. But I was thinking about people make choices to, to have their lives changed in that church and became part of that church. And there are transformed lives in Girraween today because somebody went there and preached the gospel. You're here today. You've made a choice for Jesus. Your life is being transformed. It may not be as quick as you want. <laughs> you may be disappointed at some of the things that happen in your life and the things that you, some of the dreams that not, aren't, haven't come to pass. But can I encourage you, if you are still seeking Christ, if you are still seeking the will and the love and the lo- of God in your life, you're on the right track. Fulfillment comes by transformation in Christ. The invitation to come follow me is still alive and well today. Jesus is extending that to you. Romans 12.2 I am coming to a close. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know I think different now. Money isn't as important as it used to be. Sport, as much as I was, I, 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 sport was nearly everything. GF day, grand final day was always the big day. From uh, I used to stay up overnight and watch all the old old replays of different sporting. Sport took over everything in my life. And I was disappointed by sport. I'm still disappointed when my team loses. But the greater thing is, it's not as important. I've changed the way I think. What's more important to me is helping somebody find Christ. It's praying with somebody. It's having relationship with somebody who knows Jesus. It's helping people along the journey of following Christ. My mind has been changed. Has yours? Has your mind been changed? Change or is it still being changed by Christ? Romans 8.29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The best answer for your life today is still Jesus. This may seem like a really simple sermon to you, but God's plan is still for you to be transformed. He hasn't finished his work in you. Stradivarius violins took a long time to make, but nobody can replicate it. God's still working in your life and nobody can replicate that work. Nobody else can do that work. True conversion to Christ is obvious when someone's mind changes and they are transformed into that image of Christ. You know, Jesus hit right at the issue. He said, sell everything you have. I think I'd still struggle with that one today. I'm being honest. He said, sell everything you have. Take up your cross and follow me. The message of the cross is not just that Jesus died on but he's asking you to take up your cross. Take up the cross. Sacrifice that which 
does not fulfill you on the cross and follow Christ. Give it up. I think that's still hard today. But the key to transformation is doing that. When my wife and I came to Christ, our marriage was an absolute mess. She was uh, pregnant with our son who's just turned 40 and I makes me feel really old to have a 40-year-old son. We're so blessed by our family. But I want my family always to know that it was the transformation of Christ in our marriage that enabled us to get to this place now. We're going to a family um, birthday party, one of our, it's birthday season. All nine of our grandkids, it seemed like they all have the birthdays all around this time. And so that's why I haven't got too much money. Amen. Yeah. But uh, we're going uh, to a birthday party today. And one of the things I love testifying to my grandkids about is the transformation God did in our lives. Of course, both my wife and I agree that we would not be married today if it wasn't for Christ. If it wasn't for his work of transformation in my heart, I disappointed her regularly. She actually went to boarding school when we were living in the Northern Territory. We we're in a mining town. We we're living in the Northern Territory. Part of the reason that she said yes to going to boarding school was to get away from me because we were at school together and I was a very possessive young man. In fact, I'd punch people in the face if they looked at her. I, I smothered her. I bought her everything, tried to win her. She was only 14 for crying in a bucket. I've got a granddaughter that's 14. There's one bloke that looks at him. I'll be punching him anyway. (laughs) But we had problems when we got married. Huge problems when we got married. First five years of our Christianity, I was regularly in counseling, sitting there and the pastor saying, Gaff, what are you doing? But the transformation in our meta-testimony today to the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. It wasn't easy. I had to, I, I was confronted. I had a wicked temper. Punch holes in doors and yell and scream and carry on. And thank God I don't do that. She yells more than I do at the TV when it's footy, when the footy's on. <laughs> right. But God's transformed me. I want to encourage you. You may have some disappointments in your life today. You may be have been diverted in some way from the will and the purposes of God. But the transforming work of God that God wants to do in your life, it's priceless. You can't purchase it. It is priceless. It takes more than desire. Listen, the young man came to Jesus with a desire. But he had to have a determination. 
to let Jesus change him. Now, speculation. I read one author who, when he when he studied out the rich young ruler and all that, he came up with the conclusion that when you read about the life of Barnabas and you compare that to the rich young ruler, they could be the same man. I'm not saying they are. I think he is. Because Barnabas sold all that he had, if you read it in the book of Acts, gave it away and followed Christ. That'd be a really nice story when we get to heaven to find out if that's true. But it's not about that. It's about you. You and I. He wants to transform. I want us to bow our heads, close our eyes. Thank you so much for bearing with me as I've... Kyle, why don't you just come up and play the guitar for a few minutes? Thank you so much for bearing with me. I, I, I can be a little long-winded, but I hope it's helped you this morning. My comments, as your head's about and your eyes closed, I, and I want you just to start thinking about any one particular issue of the sermon that God has spoken to you about, what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about right now. Any one issue. And begin to pray that through. But possibly today, I don't know everybody's, everybody in the room, but possibly today you don't know Jesus personally. I'm not asking you if you've come to church, if, if, you, if, if you come to this church regularly, because coming to church isn't really the issue. The issue is, have you given your life to Christ? Have you, have you been forgiven? Have you had your sins washed? When Jesus died on the cross, as Kyle took us, took us through that communion dedication, we remembered the fact that Jesus suffered and died for our salvation. He took our place. The biggest issue in your life is not whether or not you've got enough money to retire. The biggest issue in your life is not whether or not you own a house. It's not whether or not you've, you've got a great marriage or you've got a bad marriage or you've got good friends or you don't have friends. We're all God. His grace and his love and his mercy and to cleanse you of your sin. He's willing to transform your life on the inside. If you've not availed yourself of that, you need to give your life to Christ and be forgiven. If you need to do that, I want you to repeat a prayer with me right now. Just repeat this prayer and ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask him to take away the sin of your life and ask him to begin to transform you. Ask him to save your soul. Say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I've done wrong. 
I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. And I give you my life. And I thank you that you've forgiven me. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Father, I pray for any person in this place today that has prayed that prayer now, that has asked you to come into their lives, Jesus. I pray you help them. I pray you bless them. I pray you heal their heart. I pray you save them. Save them. As we're in this time, just for a moment, I want you to begin to pray and say, God, I'm sorry I've disappointed you. I'm sorry I've disappointed myself. I've, I've, I've not died, done what you've asked me to do. Lord, I'm sorry I've been diverted from doing what you want me to do. I've allowed money, I've allowed self-image, I'm allowed whatever you've allowed to divert you from the will of God. Begin to say sorry, Lord. But don't leave it there. Also say to the Lord for a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take up my cross and follow you. I want to be transformed. I want to change for the better. I don't want to be the same this time next year. I don't want to be the same this time in a month. I want you, Lord, to change me and I'm willingly yielding to you for you to do the work in me. And I'm determined to let you do that work in me. It's not just a desire, Lord, but a determination of my heart to let you change me. And to make some changes that you might show me that I need to change. Some people in Christianity struggle with alcohol, prescription drugs. Some people in Christianity struggle with lying, stealing. They come to church. But in, this, in our heart of hearts, we struggle with attitudes of jealousy. We struggle with attitudes of rejection. Ask Jesus to transform your heart. Lord, I'm believing you for this congregation. I'm so thankful, Lord God, that people are willing. I sense your spirit. I believe you, Lord God. People here today that are willing, willing to let you, Holy Spirit, do a work in them so deep. There are issues in their lives, people's lives. I pray, Lord, do a mighty work right now. Do a mighty work right now. As we sit in your presence, Lord, and you're speaking to our hearts, 
change us. There are so many people here today that as the Lord changes you, your testimony is going to impact others. Let God keep changing you and change you for the better. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.